Welcome to Speak Up, the Speech Pathology Australia podcast. This podcast series highlights conversations with esteemed contributors in the speech pathology space. We explore key issues in the profession in a short and easy to listen to format. In this week's episode, Dr. Sharon Smart and Dr. Mary Clayson will discuss the topic, Don't Snip for Speech, Speech Production and Tongue Movements in Children with Tongue Tie. Let's listen now. We're recording live from the end of day three of Speech Pathology Australia's 2019 conference and I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr Sharon Smart and Dr Mary Clayson who just a little while ago presented the session Don't Snip for Speech, Speech Production and Tongue Movements in Children with Tongue Tie. Mary and Sharon are both researchers and academics at Curtin University and their research interests span all areas of paediatric communication and feeding. So thank you for your time Mary and Sharon and welcome. Thank you. Thanks Marie. If I could just ask some questions with regards to your presentation earlier this afternoon. Can you tell me why you investigated this particular topic? We sure can. I guess one of the things is that we were really struck over the last few years just how many families and parents were coming to us and reporting to us that either their children had tongue tie or someone else they knew from their mother's group had tongue tie and that people were getting recommended to have intervention for their tongue tie. And it really got us thinking about, is this happening more often? Um, And when we looked into the literature, we discovered that, yes, the the incidence of tongue tie has increased phenomenally over the last few years. Yeah, and in fact, if we look at surgery rates, there's been an increase of about 420% between a 10-year period between 2006 and 2016 in Australia alone. And it's it's echoed in other countries. In the States, it's an 855% increase over that period of time. So... Um, it certainly is and they're only just um, surgeries that are recorded under the Medicare system so certainly those facts really show that um, there is a higher rate of identification and um, yeah so treatment for this condition. And as researchers that got us wondering why why are people why is there such an increase Um, and and what happens if we don't intervene what's the impact of tongue tie we know about the impact of tongue tie on breastfeeding but what about the impact of tongue tie on speech sounds interesting yeah which leads us led us to our research really our research aims and our research questions is because um, there is um, evidence for and against but the evidence that shows that there is no relationship between speech sound production and children with a history of tongue tie um, from a few systematic reviews and there's only been one small study of only a small amount of children that actually has investigated between groups of children with and without tongue tie which has shown no significant difference so we really felt it was an opportunity to um, to look at a larger samples in this study. Interesting. And so what we did was we recruited three groups of children. We recruited children who had no history of tongue tie, some children who um, had a tongue tie where the parents had decided not to treat the tongue tie, or perhaps it that it hadn't been recommended that they seek treatment Um, and some children who or some families where the parents had opted for treatment of tongue tie. 
And I think it's uh, the children had been <coughs> identified um, and as having a tongue tie and the treatment was conducted before they were six months of age. And then we followed up these children um, when they were between two years and nearly five years of age. So these children had, um, this is, we're looking at children 18 to four and a half years post-treatment to follow out their outcomes in terms of their speech sound production, their percentage of consonants correct, and their intelligibility, the parents' rating of their intelligibility and their clinician's rating. And then we also looked at their um, tongue movements and tongue mobility scores. And also we looked at if they still presented with a tongue tie um, as, a, as a classification of their structure and function at the current, at the current um, time. And so having done these, particularly the speech sounds, we used either the toddler phonology test or the DEEP and looked at the percent consonants correct. And what was really interesting was that across all the three areas that Sharon mm. talked about, there was no evidence of difference between the three groups. So those children with an untreated tongue tie were not rated as more unintelligible, their percent consonants correct were not different to either the children who had never had a tongue tie and those children who were untreated. And then we went into a little bit more detail. We thought, well, there's no big picture difference between those groups. If we investigate further, and so there's some clusters of speech sounds. They're called alveolar sounds, so the t, d, and all sounds. And then we looked at palatal alveolar sounds, our sh, sh, and j sounds. And we looked at those groups of sounds and went, these are sounds that require really refined um, tongue tip elevation to achieve good contact and placement. And we found even between these specific groups of sounds, there was no, no significant difference between groups on production of these sounds. So. Absolutely amazing, isn't it? It is amazing. How long, over what period of time was this study done? It was completed as part of a fourth year honours project. Holly Salt was the student and so it was conducted over a 12 month period of time but the project itself probably lasted about uh, 10 months, 9 to 10 months. Mm. Yeah, amazing. Um, can you tell me uh, the clinical implications of your findings from this study? Yeah, sure. I suppose one of the main um, findings we found is that um, the measure we use to measure tongue tie status in the children currently being receiving treatment of our group of untreated children, they no longer presented with a tongue tie on the current measures of their tongue tie function. So it actually led us to think, well, are these children outgrowing their tongue tie or is the tool we're using for children over 12 months of age, so two to five years, actually not a really good reliable valid measure of tongue structure and function. So I think the first step clinically is we actually need a good tool for measuring tongue structure and function that we can use as a profession to, to assess these kids. Um, so that's one. I think. Um, the second thing Thank that you. was really interesting is the fact that children who were diagnosed with tongue tie really early in life no longer presented with a tongue tie two to five years later. Absolutely, absolutely. So what's happening there? Is it stretching? Is there changes in that tongue fascia? Or is there something else happening in their development that they're compensating and they're no longer, they're able to change their spatial and temporal organisation of the tongue to compensate for speech production? So. And of course it is confounded by those factors that Sharon talked about, like the assessment measure, and also potentially because our untreated, no, we didn't control for severity. So 
you know, potentially those children that were untreated for us had a milder tongue tie than those children whose mm. families opted to have treatment. So in terms of the future, it would be really interesting to prospectively um, get a cohort of children from birth who present with tongue tie and decide to have treatment or not, but graded by severity. Mm. So what if they've got a, um, a very severe tongue tie or um, a very mild anterior potentially tongue tie and look at function at that early period and track the differences in outcomes in their speech production later on. So this is such an emerging area and um, very much debated amongst speech pathologists. If anyone was listening to this podcast wanted to learn more about mm. the study or investigate mm. your research a little bit more, what would you? What sort of resources would you suggest that they access? Yeah, well, we're currently in the process of um, writing up the paper for submission. So we, um, the details of our <coughs> study in particular, will be available. We're hoping within the next six months mm -hmm. um, will be published. Um, We'd also be really happy if anyone who was interested wanted to contact us at Curtin University. Well, that's very Absolutely. Yeah. How could they go about doing that? Um, they're welcome University? to email us right. um, so at sharon.smart at curtin.edu.au um, or Mary Clayson at curtin.edu.au and we'd be most um, happy to, to talk to you about um, even some potential future research in this area and we get some collaborations. Fantastic. Mm. Wonderful. Thank you so much for your time and thank you for your content here in this podcast. Very much appreciated. No and um, thanks, thank, you. thank you. Thank you. For we hope you enjoyed this week's conversation. Remember to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your colleagues. Thank you for listening and bye for now.